The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of August 9th, 2021, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up a series sweep at Wrigley Field. A very entertaining weekend for the White Sox to beat up on their inner city rivals who are, let's be frank, a shell of themselves after the trade deadline. Many players of the Chicago Cubs are unrecognizable, uh, especially after the Cubs championship core was traded away uh, before July 30th. And while it was more bum slaying, it's great to see Aloy Jimenez breakout on Sunday and Andrew Vaughn also having a big offensive day and White Sox hitters hitting more home runs over the weekend. We'll recap the action from Wrigley Field on this podcast as well as bask in the great news that Luis Robert is returning to the White Sox as they head to Minneapolis this week. We may finally see this White Sox team at full strength soon. There's also your questions in P.O. Sox to answer, and we'll address the lawsuit against the Chicago White Sox, the Birmingham Barons, and Omar Vizquel later in this episode. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Quite a weekend for the Chicago White Sox at Wrigley Field against the Chicago Cubs. A series sweep, and for those that maybe skipped Sox Machine Live, you skipped over this entire conversation but the last time we spoke we were quite concerned about the White Sox offense Mm -hmm. and lo and behold all they really needed was to face the Chicago Cubs to bounce back or specifically Kyle Davies you you went out of your way to mention uh on Sox Machine Live that the White Sox really needed to pound him and sure enough uh three homers in the first inning uh you know quick five nothing lead for Dylan Cease yeah I I thought it was a um, I, I thought it was a good weekend for the White Sox offense, but like a, a weekend that was 
like not completely out of character or show that some growth is needed. You hope that over the course of the weekend it was progress because, you know, they, they scored two runs early, then kind of went dormant until the late for, for two runs in game one and then went to extra innings because Craig Kimbrell blew the save or blew the eighth inning uh, hold. And then, you know, they had a, they, they piled it on with, with Brian Goodwin homering and, uh, you know, in the 10th uh, inning. So you had that. And then you know, the, the second game was kind of more of the same, you know, two quick runs and then, Later on, two more runs, but Carlos Rodon uh, was so good that it didn't matter. And and then uh, yeah, when it when it came to the uh, finale, that's kind of where you thought, like, okay, here's here's the offense. <laughs> like they showed kind of uh, fits and starts and and sparks, and you thought they're gonna pile it on against uh, Alzali. That didn't happen, but here it happened, and that was uh, nice to see before they go into Minnesota, which. Uh, as we talked about in Soccer Machine Live, you want to see them use these six games as a runway. Three against the Cubs, three against the Twins. And right now, I, I think the way uh, the weekend went, it's a nice runway into a Minnesota series that is hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see more of that thunder, you know, throughout nine innings versus, you know, early. And then you, you hope that the starting pitching holds on until they can pile it on late when you're seeing their, the team's lesser relievers. Yeah, the Chicago White Sox are now 28-3 and when they hit two or more home runs in a game this season. And again, the, the mantra forever for the White Sox is that ball go far, team go far. And I know hitting coach Frank Menachino wants as many 300 hitters as possible. I think for me at this stage of the season, it's pretty apparent that this White Sox offense doesn't have a lot of hitters that are capable of making consistent contact to have a 300 plus batting average. Mm -hmm. But this offense can get into a rhythm and it seems to be contagious because on Sunday, the first pitch that Tim Anderson sees after convincing Tony La Russa to put him back in the lineup, it was supposed to be a scheduled day off for Anderson Sunday night. Uh, but it sounds like Larusa was convinced from Medicino and Anderson that they saw something in the batting cat batting cages pregame, and they put Anderson in the lineup. And lo and behold, first pitch he sees, he puts it into the right field seats, mm -hmm. and the White Sox are off and running. Uh, but if the White Sox are not going to be a great contact hitting team now, try and put the ball in the seats more often, is what I say. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the idea of 300 hitters up and down lineup, or at least trying to accumulate as many of them as possible, is is tough in 2021 baseball. It's just the the arms are too good, the relievers are too good, there are too many good relievers. Like, uh, you know, as we're seeing right now with the White Sox bullpen, looking the way we thought it would have early on, we didn't think that the White Sox would need to add two relievers and that it would be the most pressing area of need when uh, the White Sox had, you know, uh, Hendricks and Bummer and Evan Marshall and, and so on and so forth down the line. Uh, so when you, when you have that kind of approach and you have that, you know, still a, a lineup that's susceptible to good right-handed pitching, it's tough to ask for 300 hitters like Tim Anderson hitting uh, 297 uh, is disappointment. But, you know, in this game with the way that batting averages are dropping and, and strikeouts are outnumbering hits, you can't you can't fight that too hard, and you have to give in sometimes. And I think with the lineup taking shape, with Jimenez coming back, uh, I think you can trade more homers for hits or or you know, homers for walks. And I think you know with Moncada drawing walks, that's useful. Cesar Hernandez, you know, aside from Sunday, you know, he's been reaching base two games. That's useful. Like that's I think when you when you have like the homers, and it feels like homers are nothing because all the homer, homers are solo shots. That's you know 
the criticism there is understandable. That's that's really not a functioning offense. That's a crossing your fingers offense. But when you have guys drawing walks, when you have guys getting on base, whether it's by singles and, and batting average on balls in play, or whether it's by drawing walks and being able to work counts, just being able to set up those homers to be multi-run events is, is what you want. And I think the White Sox are getting closer to that. I think when you, if Yasmani Grandal can come back with uh, you know Hernandez there and with Moncada at least drawing walks, uh, and then you have him along with Jimenez hopefully fully functioning at the same time with Luis Roberts coming back and hopefully being fully functional by the end of September. I think then they can make that work. Yeah, this is where, again, as I mentioned in the intro, we could finally be seeing the Chicago White Sox at full strength. And we'll talk about that topic later in the show with Luis Robert returning to the White Sox. But one of those pieces coming back, Aloy Jimenez, and it was all about timing, and we talked about how he struggled against Kansas City, that he's swinging 66% of the time. And I would say his timing is pretty good against 89, uh, as he showed against <laughs> Kyle Davies. Um, but for Jimenez to come back later in the game and go opposite field as well uh, against higher velocity is a really good sign. And I'm wondering, Jim, if this is the game that springboards Jimenez back into rhythm because it would be great if he does, especially hitting behind Jose Abreu, which I know Abreu uh, didn't have the best Sunday game uh, against the Chicago Cubs, but Abreu still had a good weekend. He still had a good Friday and Saturday, and we know on how well he could hit in the month of August. And if you got Abreu and Jimenez now hitting for power this month, Jim, then this offense looks completely different. And then you and I look like idiots freaking out that the sky is falling uh, because this offense <laughs> is finally getting back to 2020 style of play. I, I think with Jimenez, like this game could be a springboard. I, I still think, you know, facing the Cubs, facing Zach Davies as starter, and then digging such a hole that you don't face any of the Cubs top relievers. And who are the Cubs top relievers anymore? With yeah, that's Kimbrough a great question. Tepera. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> right now the, the pitching staff is, you know, it really doesn't have an identity and, and neither does the lineup for that matter. So it's, you know, I think he, he it's kind of easy pickings, but on the other hand, you know, he needs to hit these guys. Like <laughs> if you're not going to use uh, this, this pitching staff as a tune-up for uh, tougher pitching down the line, then it's a missed opportunity. So the fact that he kind of provided the sampler, you know, Homer to center, a, a blister double down the left field line, and then a uh, easy inside out Homer <laughs> to right center. Like that's, I think the kind of swing where I think, okay, he's, if he's not back, he's closer to back because that's the kind of swing where it doesn't look like much off the bat. It doesn't look like much effort when he's uh, doing it. Like he's the, the bat isn't quite getting meeting the ball out in front of the plates, but it is. It's like an optical illusion. The way he gets the hands in and the barrel seems like it's behind, but then you see the ball like just kind of coast out to right center and the barrel's where it needs to be. It's just his hands are even faster than a lot of guys to where his hands can get in and out front. Uh, and so the bat's just in unusual position by the time it meets the ball. So that's the kind of swing I saw where it makes me think like, okay, he can cover that pitch. He can flip it out to right field. He doesn't need to be so antsy in the box to make sure that he's on time and, and the bat's in front of the, the plate meeting the ball uh, in order to get lift. So that's I'm hoping that swing means there's more to come. But if he has a couple rough games like over the course of the next week or two when facing you know more top flight staffs, then I can I think you know uh, I guess I'm expecting that and, and 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 expecting some like 
high uh, high octane performances and then some games where he goes 0 for 4 two strikeouts and a couple grounders left side and it looks like I oh, still got some things to work out and that's just that's also the life of a major leaguer yeah they they can't all be like Sundays for Eloy Jimenez unfortunately but again he displayed that he still has that potential and he put it on full display for a national audience and it's that type of swing that you're talking about, Jim, with Eloy Jimenez is in why I believe that one year, and I think it will be soon, he's going to break Albert Bell's single-season home run record for the Chicago White yeah, Sox. Yeah, if he can I think stay Jimenez healthy. Has got, yeah, if he can stay healthy, that's I think the, Jimenez that's, I think could the hit 50. biggest obstacle. Yeah, it is. That's that's for a lot of these guys in this roster right now. But, yeah, if, I think Jimenez, if he can play 150 games next season, I think he's got a chance for 50 home runs. and set a new single-season record for the Chicago White Sox in home runs. That's that's how much I believe in Aloy Jimenez. And it is fun for him to continue to torment the Chicago Cubs. Poor Cubs fans. Uh, Aloy Jimenez loves to hit at Wrigley Field. And looks like he's got a chip on his shoulder when he's playing against the Cubs. And that's what you see is uh, <laughs> the type of display on Sunday, just completely dominating a game. Uh, the pitching was also great. Uh, a couple of fun facts. One from Chris Kampka, uh, who posted this on Twitter. For the first time in Chicago White Sox franchise history, the White Sox posted back-to-back games with 16-plus strikeouts, which is awesome. And this from uh, Stats Inc. The Chicago White Sox are the first team in the modern era to get 45-plus strikeouts from their pitchers and 8-plus home runs from their hitters in a three-game series. Boy, in 200 characters, that's a great (laughs) way to wrap up on how this series went between the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs. And my personal fun fact to add into these stats, uh, when White Sox pitchers strike out 10-plus batters in a game, the White Sox are 40-18. and this season. So as much as it's important for them to hit multiple home runs in a game, when the White Sox pitchers are striking out batters at a high clip, the White Sox are just as good. And with the pitching this weekend, I don't know if you can complain at all with the way that Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, and Dylan Cease through. And it was nice to see that Tony La Russa, the one thing I do want to chime on with the pitching, Craig Kimbrell did not have a good inning. Mm-hmm. And it almost cost the White Sox a game. But I did like on how Larusa threw Kimbrel back in the next day to get that bad taste out of his mouth. I think that's good managing Jim. Yeah, I think that's been a pattern of his uh, throughout the season. And I think sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. Um, just, uh, you know, part of, you know, I guess the guys he's tested on back-to-back days, some of them aren't on the team right now just because uh, they did have to change some some arms and, and others have been hurt. So, you know, it's a way of him for, I guess, to test some metal. And also, I imagine a guy like Kimbrell, uh, you know, with his pride and his uh, expectations, you know, failing that way against the team that just traded him, probably had a bad taste in his mouth and wanted it equally to, uh, to, to write himself as well. So I imagine it was kind of a joint effort between the two. And, you know, as long as Kimbrell is open to it and feeling good for doing it, you know, for getting out there and throwing another, you know, high leverage inning and, and, you know, 15 plus pitches. I imagine that it was kind of mutually beneficial. Uh, yeah, the pitching, I think really, when you look at it, the only, you know, if you had to pick one complaint, I imagine it would be Dylan Cease just making Sunday a little bit harder than he had to. 
Um, and I guess we'll talk about this later in PO Sox, but he just had like a lot of waste pitches, like a lot of, uh, you know, breaking balls that were just in the dirt or, or curve balls that were slipping on him and flying high. And it seemed like the Cubs could eliminate his fastball or looking fastball on two strike counts. And, uh, got him to some rough innings. You know, he gave up three runs, uh, a two out single in the, uh, you know, third inning, and it kind of looked like he might, you know, make LaRusse's job a bit harder, have to go to Reynaldo Lopez, maybe have to go to Garrett Crochet or Michael Kopech to kind of stitch together the innings four through seven, but he settled in, he found it, you know, between innings, he must have found his release point, uh, retired the last six he faced, so even though he had some stumbles that I think are a bit concerning, or at least a reason why, um, you know, it, it's hard to put a whole lot of, um, faith in him against like, you know, great offenses. And I think, you know, when you, when you're talking about the White Sox rotation and ceases development as a, a professional pitcher, you know, it, it's, I feel like it's a bit greedy to ask too much from him and say like, Oh, he should be an ace right now. Like, no, he should struggle against good teams. Like he's allowed to, that's not, that's not like a, a mark on his character or anything like that. I think he's progressing just fine, but ultimately he was able to end his start in a good note. So I think, you know, there might've been a potential where he'd t- be talking about Dylan Cease and whether, you know, he's going to be somebody who can be on a postseason roster and a postseason rotation. But the way he ended his start suggested that he can make the corrections in start, which I think is, Really, as we're looking at him over the next two months of the season, that's, I think, probably the biggest thing on his to-do list is is uh, kind of just when he can't find something, when he can't find his release point, figuring out a way to correct it before it's too late. You want to talk about the broadcast on Sunday? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I would say, like, you know, at this point, we've talked about it, that you know, ESPN is basically like a baseball show with a game going on for Sunday Night Baseball. Yeah. And... Uh, that I've kind of gotten used to, but just, I thought the camera work was shoddy. It was like a, odd. A lot of it late cuts, odd. a lot of weird camera choices, like, especially when they're not talking about the game, uh, or, or they're drifting away from it with interviews and whatnot. Like, at least you want the camera work to be on point. So you know, what's going on when you, when, when the, uh, when the cameras are late to cut and they're not showing everything, the replays are slow. Then I think that puts an emphasis on what they're actually saying. And that's what makes that annoying. Well, they're on ESPN on Monday again against the Minnesota Twins, and we'll preview that upcoming series for the White Sox. They head to Minneapolis uh, for this week later in the show. Uh, It was cool to hear Al Michaels. I know a lot of people on Twitter were complaining about the Al Michaels interview. I'm a big fan of Al Michaels as far as his work, and uh, I I did think that was cool. My eyes almost rolled out of my skull uh, when A Rod was defending Jerry Reinsdorf again, <laughs> just <laughs> well, the thing I liked about the Al Michaels interview is they set him up. You know, they're they're talking about ABC and making a big deal about how the game was on ABC, and they said like ABC was pioneering. Uh, they 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 uh, introduced center field cameras, right? And Al Michaels like no. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very bluntly said no. Uh, you know, New York stations uh, when he was growing up were doing it, so yeah, it's nothing they did. And, they might, and he said and they, he, they might want to take credit for it, so maybe that's him being kind of network agnostic, uh, given that he yeah. works for NBC. But I just I found the honesty refreshing, given how much you know the ESPN broadcast and uh, A Rod, who I think you know had, got off to a promising start as a broadcaster, and then just I think he's been. He's had his attention divided by other off-field, um, you know, business pursuits to where I think he just doesn't put the research in um, and just kind of gets by on flattery, I think. And Matt, Matt Verskirchen, 
was set up twice by Al Michaels. Al was telling stories about Hawk mm-hmm. and sharing the moment with him. Best version didn't really follow up much on that. And Al Michaels mentioned working with Steve Stone. Mm-hmm. And Vest Gershon didn't even bother following up on that. So I give Al Michaels props because he was also calling play by play when action was happening, yeah. when he's answering questions and again, trying to make it about the game still, but he's a pro and he was trying to draw the attention, not so much to him, but Hey, I also worked with, and I associated with some folks within the White Sox broadcast and yeah, the ESPN didn't bother picking up on those. <laughs> yeah. <notes. laughs> I, I thought it was a daring choice to bring in a broadcaster. People like more in the middle of a game. <laughs> hey, Al, can you just stay and yeah. call the rest of the game? <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been great. Well, at least uh, for now, ESPN doesn't have any postseason games. Uh, so. uh, TBS isn't any great shakes either. Uh, so. I like Brian Anderson, though, when he's doing the TBS games. Yeah, I just find their broadcast like they're like I said, I pay more attention to production and camera cuts and replays. Yeah. And I just feel like they they show their. Uh, you know, they show their inexperience when it comes to, like big stage baseball and actually uh, showing what I want to see, like after a big moment or a big pitch or like a, uh, you know, a route in the outfield, just like it, it feels like they often leave me with a lot of questions. So out of the national ones, do we agree that Fox is still doing it better than anyone else? Yeah, I, I think their experience shows. And, you know, I think, you know, national broadcasts always bring a lot of criticism because you're used to, uh, your guys calling the game and especially like with the White Sox, you know, Benetti and Stone uh, White Sox fans are spoiled. And I think now with mm-hmm. even Len, you know, Len Casper as a pinch hitter for a TV broadcast is pretty damn good. Uh, so yeah. yeah, White Sox fans are spoiled. So it's hard to go from any White Sox broadcast to a national broadcast. But I think just when it comes to the cameras, the technology, the, uh, yeah, and Foxy gets distracted with its own celebrities and so forth. But they they ultimately know, I think, what fans want to see when it comes to actually uh, big moments, uh, replays, angles. They go to a lot of replays. They, they they're they're willing to go back to plays three or four times uh, to to follow up. So I think that's where their experience shows. Well, shifting to our next topic, and it is great news. Luis Robert is rejoining. The Chicago White Sox this week. He'll be joining the team in Minneapolis. Manager Tony La Russa confirmed the news in his Sunday pregame conference. And we haven't seen Luis Roberts since May when he had that uh, that terrible-looking injury past first base and the hip tear. And it really soured my mood and I think a lot of White Sox Moods as well. It's like oh, we just had the Aloy Jimenez injury, and now Luis Robert is hurt. What is going on? But now Luis Robert back into the fold, and again hitting wise, Jim. I think it's going to take Robert some time to get his timing back, just like Aloy Jimenez. I I have a very low bar for Robert offensively in this upcoming series against the Minnesota Twins, but I think with the outfield defensive configurations for so long, it's like you're even Sunday's game. You got Aloy Jimenez defensive liability in left field and you got Andrew Vaughn defensive liability in right field uh, liability or star. Oh, <laughs> well, he's getting there. He's getting better. He's getting yeah. better. But now you could have Luis Robert in center field and Adam Engel in right field. And Andrew mm-hmm. Vaughn and Aloy Jimenez can switch back and forth between DH and left field. 
And that defensive configuration is a lot stronger. And still knowing that you got Brian Goodwin to come off the bench to spell time. That that outfield defense is going to improve a lot with Luis Robert back. I'm curious to see like exactly what their playing time is going to be for Robert because he wasn't playing every day in center field in Charlotte and, and, you know, during his rehab stint, they were working him, you know, in and out of the field. Uh, he played most days. I think maybe some of it was, um, you know, weather or field conditions, uh, for, you know, when I guess they wanted to, uh, diminish the risk running. But when it came to just the everyday, you know, like with Jimenez coming back, you don't really care about his defense and left field. Uh, you just want him hitting. And I, I think like more or less he was showing he's healthy enough to hit and he can work out the rest of his timing issues at the major league level. With Roberts, you know, I'm curious whether he's going to be starting, you know, close to every day, whether he's going to be, you know, going on and off the way the White Sox and, and Tony La Russa uh, rotated Adam Engel in and out as he came back from a hamstring issue. Uh, maybe they're going to be relieving each other to where uh, you might be, you know, one game on, one game off in center for each with Robert maybe rotating a DH, although I think, you know, you don't want to do that too much because it's a waste of his <laughs> defensive skills to have, uh, you know, him not be able to enter a game defensively unless you want to lose the DH. But I can see some uh, rotation early on, maybe fans being a bit disappointed that they don't see Robert in the lineup um, every day or, or close to every day for the first couple weeks. But I'm wondering, you know, when you, when you watched him last season, uh, his first month was great. His second month was largely terrible until like the very end when he started to get some of his discipline back, realize just how much junk they were throwing him. He was able to wrestle pitchers back in the zone. And then you know, he, he had some really loud contact at the end of the season and into the uh, wildcard series. I'm wondering if they look at that the same way and just say like, well, you know, right now we have two months left to play with. Uh, if it's the same thing, if he's going to be rusty and he's going to have the timing issues and the uh, aggression issues that he has to work out, and he has to kind of like uh, check himself when it comes to just how aggressive he is. If they want to use these two months just to kind of uh, prepare for the same course to where he has one month that's really, you know, whatever order it takes, he has one month that's really rough and one month that he looks a lot more like he's, uh, I guess, has the grasp of his potential. That's why uh, that's kind of my anticipation for what's going to be happening uh, with Robert over the next couple of months. I hope it's sooner rather than later, but I think if it is uh, later rather than sooner, I think the White Sox are going to be trying their best to at least prepare themselves and prepare everybody for a, a long uh, reacclimation hmm. curve. I hope it's not because uh, he was yeah. hitting pretty well before he got hurt. I mean, he was hitting 316. With a 359 on base percentage and slugging 463. And uh, he was cutting down his strikeouts by 5%. He wasn't walking as much as he was mm -hmm. in 2020. And he also only had the one home run through 25 games and eight RBI. So it was more of just trying to make more contact uh, than power to at least start the season for Luis Robert. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering if he's like somebody who's just naturally hot and cold. He could be. Like just he gets into situations where he's feeling it and then either a pitcher's making an adjustment or he just hits a bump, um, tries to do too much, uh, tries to, <laughs> I guess when you're, you know, that physically talented, it's easy to try to do too much because it feels like you can do anything. So you try to do everything. And uh, so that's just my hunch, but uh, it's also me just trying to, uh, you know, set a lower bar just because he did suffer a 
significant injury. So uh, I, I think he should be allowed to struggle and allowed to, you know, if you're, if you're battling, you know, coming back from an injury on top of, um, you know, still working out how you're adjusting pitchers and pitchers are adjusting to you. I think it, it's the White Sox are trying to, I guess, create as much playing time at the major league level as possible in order to make sure that, you know, come late September, which really, you know, when, with a 10 and a half game lead, looks like the thing to prioritize that you can take some short-term struggles to try to get back up to speed when it matters. So we're thinking Luis Robert plays two out of three against the Twins. Maybe his first back-to-back is playing in the Field of Dreams game because they get the Friday off. Mm -hmm. And then maybe he sits out on Saturday to give him two days off after playing back-to-back days. And then Sunday he plays, and then the White Sox can reevaluate for the next week to see how he's holding up physically. Is that what we're envisioning here, Jim? Something like that. Like okay. it, it's it, this weird schedule gives him some uh, opportunities to mess with the uh, uh, you mess with the rhythm a little bit, and and yeah, like you said, get two days off in a row, which I think Larusa likes doing, and yeah, uh, I think the White Sox, you know, even going back to uh, Renter, even Ozzy Guillen, like that, I think they just prefer two days off or one extra day off more than they think, um, you know, if they can. Well, it's going to be great to see Luis Robert back in the White Sox lineup and in a White Sox uniform as they inch closer to becoming full strength. Tony LaRusso also shared great news about Yasmani Grandal saying that he may be returning sooner than we realized. And if Grandal comes back and the White Sox just punch a wood table, just punch a hole right through it. Not knock on wood, punch it, punch your fist through the wood. <laughs> punch it, Chewy. <laughs> uh, if the White Sox position players can stay healthy, then we'll finally get to see this team at full strength and finally see what we thought was going to be the 2021 opening day lineup. But we wouldn't see it until mid-August or late August. But it is uh, it is exciting that the White Sox are playing this well and they may only get stronger and get to full strength finally uh, in the 2021 season. We are going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors, but next we'll discuss the lawsuit against the Chicago White Sox, Birmingham Barons, and Omar Vizquel, and we'll also have a quick preview of the upcoming Minnesota Twin Series. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is a great season for the Chicago White Sox, and the front office is enjoying some good fortunes. But this lawsuit that was filed Friday, August 6th in Birmingham holds allegations of sexual harassment of a clubhouse worker with autism by then Barons manager Omar Vizquel. This is a story, Jim, that the Chicago White Sox cannot sweep under the rug as you and I both got an opportunity to read through the lawsuit. It is graphic as far as the details, and I'm going to hold off on that. If you would like to read more as far as the details of what the allegations are explaining in the lawsuit, I recommend going to SoxMachine.com as Jim put that into print that you could read about. But Jim, even though these actions happened two years ago, they are very disturbing to read about over the weekend. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing to talk about just because, you know, we're, we're a baseball podcast and, uh, you know, this is uh, obviously uh, sensitive and, you know, just it requires a, a deft touch and also it requires legal language that, you know, I'm used to writing, you know, making sure that you say their allegations and accused and, you know, charges and not, you know, say actually did them or, or you know, somebody said or the lawsuit says. Um, so it's, you know, it requires a lot of couching, a lot of sensitivity, but it is, yeah, it is disturbing. It is rough. Like just um, the way the White Sox, you know, there are two ways to look at it, or I guess like the, there are two kind of elements to it. One is that the White Sox did fire Viscal within a reasonable amount of time uh, within learning about the, the shower incident. There was a shower incident with the clubhouse employee that took place on August 22nd. The season ended on September 2nd, and they said the White Sox fired him in mid-September. And, you know, the end of the season kind of makes that moot, more or less. Um, but, you know, given, you know, if it took a while, if, if like, none of the direct reports in Birmingham, uh, you know, it, none of the direct uh, supervisors of the clubhouse attendant reported upwards and had to take, like, a longer path up, then the major league, you know, then the turnaround time of firing Vizquel, um, you know, that strikes me as, like, within reason. Um, the problem is like Chris Getz was just like, he downplayed on the way out. I think he didn't want to draw attention to it, but, uh, he kind of flattered Vizquel on the way out. He said like he, you know, he was, uh, it was a positive experience. I'm looking for the, yeah, I got the quote so, here. Uh, Getz yeah. said, listen, Omar, ultra talented player, very good instructor, created a good environment for our players. We just felt where things are at our player development system that it was time to go separate ways, but not only for himself, but for the organization as well. And we wish Omar well. He was a positive influence while he was here. End quote. Yeah. You could probably, the middle section where he felt things were at, time to go separate ways, not only for self organization well, like maybe that sentence would have been good, but wishing him well, positive influence, good, like that stuff struck me as like, eh, no, like just too much flattery too gen too generous <laughs> for the accusations which they you know and their accusations with the white Sox must have found them credible enough to fire him 
uh, when they did. So there's that. But just you know, um, I think the bigger issue right now in the in the is that you know the White Sox of the people mentioned. Uh, one is a clubhouse manager who doesn't seem to be there anymore, seems to have moved on to a different organization. Director of Stadium Operations, who is no longer in Birmingham, a uh, different team. Uh, then you have Bernardo Flores, who was mentioned, but uh, he's with another team, uh, so he's not there. But like Wes Helms was supposedly there, you know, uh, accused of, uh, you know, seeing the incident or catching wind of it, like being a direct, maybe not direct witness, but seeing the aftermath of it and laughing. That That's what he's accused of doing. And, and, uh, he ends up being promoted. He was assistant coach at Birmingham. Now he's the manager at Charlotte. And that's, I think, the unresolved issue. And, uh, you know, why did he get a promotion when he did not show leadership at a point where, you know, leadership was required, like a check on leadership was required. And that's, I think, the uh, most troubling thing. And, and then you have the, you know, you have the issue of where he had autism and you have all sorts of federally protected rights, equal uh, employment opportunity commission. And then you have the American with disabilities act, you know, kind of being violated. You know, if you have a, um, you know, a, a clubhouse attendant or a clubhouse employee who was fully capable of the job um, and, and was ultimately like the, what put him in a position was something uh, that no employee should ever be expected to have to account for. Uh, that's, I think, where they're in trouble. <laughs> like, I think you can say, like, oh, it's, you know, you know, clubhouses are, you know, uh, you know, weird environments and you have to have a thick skin or you have to, you know, be able to handle yourselves around, uh, you know, I guess when you would, you know, underdeveloped men emotionally, like, you know, you know, Major League Baseball clubhouses aren't the most caring environments, but that is something that's, you know, beyond the pale, you know, when you have something that's pretty much, you know, gets close to it's sexual harassment borderline sexual assault um that's a case where yeah just that's you have to take those those charges very seriously not only just because of the nature of them but also when you have the you know the 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 ada being violated that's i think there's, there's gonna be some training involved whether it's with player with uh, coaches already there and who might have been privy to it or might have caught wind of it you know whether uh, in Birmingham or outside Birmingham, people in the system, you know, training might be required or just, you know, you know, when it comes to future employees, they, it is embarrassing. I think it's, it is a, a black eye for the organization. I think they handled, I, I imagine they felt they handled it enough by firing him. And then he had the pandemic erasing the 2020 season and just think like, well, that's in the past. And apparently it is not. No. And also coming to light is the domestic violence allegations as well against Omar Vizquel back in December of yeah. 2020. I mean, it's just piling up on Omar at this moment. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, there there was a report of a Detroit clubhouse attending saying that, like, he did the same thing in Detroit, but he said it laughing. Like, that was a case where, like, somebody who, you know, might be used to ballplayers could, like, laugh it off and say, like, oh, it's just, you know, hazing, ha, ha, ha. Uh, but you know, not everybody is going to be inclined to respond like that, whether it's because they, um, you know, because of autism or just because they're fully developed, uh, you know, just, or just like they're, they're, um, you know, they don't have, a, uh, and this is in me wrestling language here to make sure I choose my words correctly, but just like, uh, whether it's autism or not, it's uh, a case where just like nobody should be, have to be prepared to deal with that, uh, from somebody in power. So it's, uh, yeah, it's um, a, ca a case where, yeah, training needs to be revisited. Like, I think uh, there are a lot of things that need to be revisited when it comes to just 
uh, how thoroughly they handled it. Like they did address it somewhat, but clearly wasn't enough if, you know, guys who, in this case where, you know, maybe they investigated and Helms told them something different or, you know, uh, their reports were, you know, conflicting or something like that. But it is, yeah, Helms, I think, is the loose end that kind of shows how maybe far the White Sox still have to go. Yeah, there, there's a lot of questions about the minor league operations for the Chicago White Sox because there's also a phrase within the lawsuit, what's, what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. And that's not a good sign. That that raises yeah. some questions. Like, well, if it's players I, I fighting that... between each other or arguments having, I can understand having that phrase, listen, as a clubhouse worker, don't go to the media when two guys are you know, working things out in the clubhouse. But if you're going to have this type of event, this alley, you know, allegedly this event that took place in the clubhouse and you're telling everyone that it's got to stay within the clubhouse, that's not a healthy work environment. Yeah. I, well, I remember when that quote came, uh, came up in the, in the lawsuit, it reminded me of, um, the, uh, incident with, uh, uh, Oni Gian and Bobby Jenks. Uh, I don't recall when when uh, when uh, you know Ozzy Gian's son basically spilled to the media. Like Jenks criticized Ozzy Gian for like the way he was being handled, uh, managed, and then Oni came to the uh, media or through Twitter and said that like Jenks was crying in the clubhouse and he uh, you know has a drinking problem and just you know aired some dirty laundry that was completely unnecessary. Uh, and, and Matt Thornton, I remember him saying like that's you know. What, what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. And I think that's really what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> like when you have, uh, you know, workplace, you know, differences of opinion, uh, when you have like interpersonal dynamics, like how a player is handling adversity, how he's, uh, you know, how, how certain players are getting along, you know, that, that sort of thing. What, what, what you know, uh, off-field indiscretions to a certain degree, like, yeah, that's a case where you know, you don't want. <laughs> I think you know, probably every clubhouse has enough secrets to where uh, if one person starts spilling them, then just the whole you know, thing collapses. But yeah, when it crosses the line into uh, crimes, violations, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and yeah, just like I said, like sexual harassment bordering on sexual assault, then yeah, that's a case where they just they need to understand that there are lines. It's a civil lawsuit right now. Danny Carr is the Jefferson County District Attorney for Birmingham in the state of Alabama. Again, I am not a lawyer, but if these allegations are true, as you mentioned, Jim, if they are true, it's a crime. And will this escalate into a criminal investigation and now it requires Chris Getz and Rick Hahn to fly down to Birmingham and take the stand. Yeah, I think it's a little too far right now. Like it's a little bit, uh, <laughs> a lot of things can happen with settlements and such to where uh, it, it's ultimately concluded. But yeah, it's just, uh, there. but when it comes to like the, you know, the EEOC and the ADA violations, that's I think where it gets tricky. Like that, that's where it gets you know, even messier than, than this would ordinarily be. And it's already plenty messy and, and gross and disturbing and uh, <laughs> enough. It raises a lot of questions about the White Sox minor league operations. 
And I'll be paying attention to what Chris Gett says with a, I guess, a more attentive eye moving forward when he's speaking of as far as minor league operations. Because as the director of player development, that's your job. The minor leagues are under you. And yeah, this is a... This is not good. And again, this lawsuit is requesting a jury trial. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Any additional updates to this lawsuit against Omar Vizquel, the Birmingham Barons, and the Chicago White Sox, we'll provide those updates on SoxMachine.com when they come. It could also be just one thing about Chris Getz, too, is that he's, you know, pretty young in his role, 37. So, like, he doesn't have a whole lot of management experience. So this might be a reflection on his lack of handling personnel matters well his boss is a lawyer yep so uh so if chris has any questions he could have just went to rick Hahn. yeah or he could have went to someone like grace wit also helps with minor league operations like there's oh, yeah. resources within no, the chicago it, yeah, ignorance office. is no excuse i just meant with his you know the, the one thing i'm thinking of with his particular quote and the way it was handled uh publicly you know out, mm-hmm. outward facing just like that just might reflect his yeah, I imagine, you know, his experience has not led him to, and I imagine a lot of people have not had to handle that sort of uh, accusations from within, but he did not handle it well. I mean, that's not a defense, just more of a matter of like, if if this is a reflection on him being new to the job and not having a whole lot of variety in handling personnel matters, then, you know, that's a case where training helps there too. Well, that is the lawsuit, and again, if there are updates that are upcoming, and this is now a national story, so don't be surprised if there's more follow-up from the national media outlets. James Fegan of The Athletic was first to break the story. Any updates that we hear or we read elsewhere, we'll make sure that those updates are also being provided on SoxMachine.com. If, if nothing else, we'll hear about when the Hall of Fame voting cycle happens again. <sighs> I Yeah, all right. He was I on know. the cusp. It, and it's that that be... should be zero. That's my opinion. Yeah. If you're going to use the character clause to prevent Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling to get into the Hall of Fame, Omer Vizquel's number has to be zero. Yeah, it's going to be... <laughs> I imagine some votes are just going to be people who miss that news cycle. But yeah, it's going to be... I don't know how gross. you miss it. It's being reported everywhere. It was on the bottom ticker Saturday night on Fox and ESPN. And yeah. Then you see some of the ballots come in and people miss a lot. So they will make them public. uh, I'll tell you that much. Yep. All right. So let's talk about the Chicago White Sox going to Minneapolis. This is the last series between the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago White Sox in 2021. And the Minnesota Twins, their record is 48 and 64. They are 5 and 5 in their last 10 games, and the White Sox have simply dominated the season series. They have won 12 out of the 16 games played. However, what is interesting is that the Minnesota Twins in a way helped out the Chicago White Sox because the Twins just took 3 out of 4 against the Houston Astros in Houston. Hmm. <laughs> The pitching probables for this series, again, Monday night, as we mentioned earlier in the show, this is an ESPN broadcast, but Jason Benetti is back from the Olympics. I thought he did a terrific job broadcasting the Olympics as Team USA wins the silver medal as they lost in the gold medal game against Japan. But it's Lucas Giolito against Bo Burrows. 
On Tuesday, it's Dallas Keuchel against Griffin Jacks, which for those that are in Chicago, our friends from the 108, they're having a live event at Buffalo Wings and Rings off 35th and Halstead. I'll be there, and I'll be participating in the live show at 6 p.m. Central Time. So again, if you're in Chicago or in the suburbs and you want to watch the game with other White Sox fans, come out to Buffalo Wings and Rings on Tuesday night. We'll watch the game together. And then on Wednesday, this is unique. It's a YouTube exclusive broadcast that's at 12, 10 p.m. Central Time. So you're not going to be able to see the game on NBC Sports Chicago, just YouTube. And right now, the pitching probables for that game is Lance Lynn against Bailey Ober. All right, Jim. Like I mentioned, this is the last time the White Sox will play the Minnesota Twins in 2021. If we rewind it back to opening day, we expected these series to be heated and carry a lot of weight on who would win the American League Central. In a way, did that still happen? Oh, kind of. I just think the Twins have a whole lot wrong going on. (laughs) Like, I think if the uh, White Sox were not the ones to expose another team would have, um, you know, the White Sox are a big reason why they're, or they put, they're responsible for like half of the games. The Twins are under 500, so there's that, but... It's, uh, yeah, just when, when you see, like, Matt Shoemaker bombing out and then, like, you know, having some words about the organization on his way out and the Twins canning of just the injuries, the, uh, it's just been a lot going wrong. But I, I am, you know, it is nice to see the, the White Sox being the ones that kind of just uh, light the match. Like, that's great. Yeah, I know the Twins are going in a much different direction. I Again, for those that are listening, you may ask, who in the world is Bo Burrows? And Griffin Jacks, isn't that a DJ? Uh, Actually, we saw Griffin Jacks in that doubleheader. He pitched pretty well against the White Sox, which was frustrating. And then Bailey Ober, there's some games the White Sox crush him, and there's some games that they don't. Yeah, it's just, this should be another series in which the White Sox win two out of three, if not sweep the Minnesota Twins, and... You know, the book written about the 2021 Chicago White Sox, I feel like against the Twins, like if you wrote a chapter on how the White Sox performed against each of the American League Central opponents this year and in I the will. division, uh, the, the Minnesota Twins chapter is going to be fascinating because I think it's going to be more about, as you mentioned, it's more about what the Twins didn't do this season than what the White Sox did to them because the Twins were already struggling to keep afloat. And with the White Sox winning 12 out of 16 games, the White Sox pretty much drowned whatever hopes the Twins had in winning the American League Central this season. Yeah, I think to me, like to distill it to one player, it's it's Byron Buxton playing a slice of a season and at like an MVP rates everything he was doing offensively defensively like looking at yeah three wins above replacement over 27 games <laughs> like that's uh yeah it's like uh it's insane and for him to play in a season and not face the white Sox once that's i think uh yeah the given given that buxton gave the white Sox headaches even when he was a flawed regular when he entered this world-beating mode and just was not healthy for a single White Sox game, 
that's, I think, kind of one of the breaks the White Sox caught. The White Sox also made their own luck. But when it came to um, just them getting a little bit of boosts here and there from unexpected sources, that's one of them. Well, Jim and I will be recapping as far as this series later this week on Wednesday night, but that's going to be more previewing the Field of Dreams game as we will be joined by our Blue Wire podcast partners, uh, the Bronx Pinstripes. They're gonna, we're going to be doing an episode together to preview the upcoming series against the New York Yankees and, of course, the marquee, another national broadcast as the White Sox will be on center stage again against the New York Yankees for the Field of Dreams game on Thursday. So you have that to look forward to for a Thursday morning as we do that collaboration again with the Bronx Pinstripe uh, as we are both part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's going to be a lot of fun to do that podcast. Um, but yeah, we're going to be expecting the White Sox to win this series. And if the White Sox bats continue to hit as well as they did at Wrigley Field, it should be pretty easy going for the White Sox. And boy, it would be something if they could finish the season series 15-4 and four against the Minnesota Twins in 2021. I don't think anyone would have saw that coming. Well, coming up next in this podcast, you guys had quite a few questions for us. So let's try to answer them next in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submit your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Socks Machine. But this week's mailbag is just flooded from our Patreon supporters, uh, which we've gotten quite a few more Patreon supporters this week. So thank you guys so much for signing up, and you can do so at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And for our Patreon supporters listening to this, we also have quite a few bonus P.O. Socks questions that Jim and I are going to answer, so definitely stay tuned for those questions um, but let's get started here jim and the let's call this first topic because we got two questions from david and brett who wrote to us uh regarding this same topic and david wrote to us is this weekend's pitching rotation the one we should see in the playoffs with lance lynn carlos Rodon, dylan cease and then lucas giolito and Brett wrote to us, assuming he is named the fourth starter for the playoffs, how confident are you in Dylan Cease pitching a successful performance in a potential game four of a playoff series? And David and Brett, this is interesting because I also had this same conversation during brunch today, uh, today being Sunday. So yesterday uh, with their friends Beef Loaf and Cherizi from the 108 uh, about would you start season game three, but how risky that would be. So Jim, how do you feel it, it, after watching this weekend and in past weeks, could this be the pitching rotation for the postseason? I think Cease is still on the outside looking in um, just because uh, to follow up what I was saying about, you know, Cease is starting the Cubs game. Like he tends to have one or two innings where he starts yanking the ball. He starts uh, spiking, um, you know, breaking pitches, kind of has to grunt through an inning, uh, gives us some base runners. You hope that it doesn't collapse on him, but like uh, in contrast to previous seasons this year, you feel like he can solve it at some point. If he can just buy himself enough time, he can write himself. 
Uh, however, like when you look at his like splits against like good teams and bad teams, like his he's kind of padding his stats against losing teams. Uh, you know, he's got a well entering the Cubs start he had a three point two far ear. 3.24 ERA against teams uh, uh, below 500 and a 5.97 ERA against teams with a winning record. And I think uh, that's kind of reflective about better offenses just being able to punish him more when he's wobbling. And, and so that's what keeps me from being too enthusiastic about a game three start versus a game four start. I think he's earned a chance, you know, assuming that you know, it's not do or die and you really want to give Lance Lynn the ball and you're going to be kicking yourself the entire winter if Lance Lynn does not start in a game where, you know, and he looked good for the start uh, where, where it mattered. But I think Cease has shown himself, he's pitched himself enough to be in that conversation. But I think when you're looking at top three, assuming Rodon is kind of nursed into October the way Larusa seems to be doing it now because he looked refreshed by the extra days off. I think it's a good top three. Uh, Giolito, like his performances, like his his blips uh, tend to be random. Like he tends to kind of get, uh, have some disappointing performances like the one against the Royals uh, that you don't expect, but then he shuts down the Astros. So I think that's a case where I trust him a bit more. Like I think his, his, uh, his bad performances, you know, for better or for worse are less predictable. I think that makes him a better start for a postseason game where the the quality of opponent isn't enough to decide, I guess, the odds of how well he's going to do. So I think that's how I'd arrange it right now with Cease on the outside looking in. But Cease certainly has a potential, and he's had the dominant outings to where wouldn't count him out. Like, I think he can still uh, improve his position over the next uh, several weeks. And if somebody, you know, should there be an injury or somebody else is unavailable somehow... I, I wouldn't mind C starting a game three, given the way he's pitched. He's earned a shot. Well, David and Brett, thank you so much for your questions. Our next question, continuing about postseason pitching, uh, Michael wrote to us, if the American League Divisional Series started tomorrow, who would you line up in the bullpen? I assume it's safe to pencil in Hendricks, Kimbrell, Kopech, Bummer, Tapera, and Crochet. Who else? And what would you do with Dallas Keuchel? I think that question is going to be the fascinating one to iron out over the the next uh, you know six weeks, just because I think the bullpen as is is good for a postseason. That includes Reynaldo Lopez and Jose Ruiz, just because Lopez I think serves a purpose the way he is right now. Like I still would rather see Kopech in a multi inning situation with a lead than than Lopez or even like a one run game. But if it's a game where it's like, you know, a four-run deficit, uh, say if, if the White Sox are trailing by four, the starter gets knocked out, that's, I think, where Lopez can step in, you know, like try to get through innings four through six. You know, save a high leverage arm, yeah, but still have a good chance of keeping the game within striking distance. Uh, given the way he's throwing now, I think that's a use for him. Likewise, you know, if the White Sox are on the, <laughs> like, you know, a game like uh, Sunday night where they open up a big lead and they don't want to attack somebody they might need later, and want Lopez to try to just, uh, you know, knock an inning or two off the scoreboard, he can do that too. So the way he's throwing now, the way he's commanding his fastball, I think is enough to have him in that role. And then I think Ruiz is just, he can miss bats here and there. He has some dominant outings, and I think that's more than anybody else offers at this juncture. But I think, you know, when you have, when you have Lopez, you have Kopech, you have Crochet, you can go multiple innings. Uh, then I think that makes Keuchel kind of an odd man out. Um, just because you probably wouldn't have him starting a game. 
um, just given how susceptible he is to contact. And, you know, he doesn't really, he's not a guy who's going to come out of the bullpen because Lopez is already there to give you innings. Uh, that's a case where, like we talked about with Mark Burley in his last year with Toronto, that he didn't make the postseason roster because he just didn't offer enough. Like his his skill, which is giving uh, a team six decent innings, was no longer what was most needed from, from the top three starters. So that's a case where there could be a delicate conversation to be had. Uh, and I think if you're looking at the, the, the most useful players, you'd probably want to cycle Keuchel uh, out and try to bring in another loud bat because the White Sox do have some loud bats between like Gavin Sheets, who might not be rosterable uh, with a, you know, with Keuchel on the roster or even like your mean Mercedes, you know, just like somebody, if you just want like a bench bat that can provide a homer, Lamb, Sheets, Mercedes from the right side. Like that's, I, I think the, uh, what you'd want that spot for. But if Keuchel's the one to give it up, uh, that'd be kind of a, a fascinating conversation to be had. In a five-game series, let's say it's hypothetically down to these two players to take that final roster spot. Dallas Keuchel or Billy Hamilton? Who do you think Larusa would pick? I would think Hamilton. Yeah. I, I think this is a skill too, or, you know, I, I, I was tweeting about it and, and, about Larusa, his best skill is being able to rub players the wrong way. Uh, whether it's because of like a Yermin Mercedes situation, or whether it's because he just thinks more can be gotten out of a guy, or because um, he doesn't think a player has earned a spot, um, he's not afraid to um, irritate a player who you know, has some gravitas or has some hype, you know, what have you, whatever stage of the career he's at. So. That's a case where this might be, uh, uh, you know, having Larusa's, um, you know, track record and, and Hall of Fame ring in the dugout. Like that's a case where, if he's the guy telling you that, uh, it, it, he, I imagine Keiko will argue it. But I, I think the way to break the news would be like, it's a it's a three game series. You don't pitch in relief. <laughs> You're, uh, you would you would see yeah above anybody else. You'd see that like there are three other starters having clearly better seasons. Um, we're going to need that spot. And, you know, your value to this team was winning the central and and, it's not a knock on you. Like in next season, we're going to need that from you again. But for right now, um, you know, five game series, like when are you going to pitch? And, and I think that's the conversation. I think this goes back to what David and Brett wrote to us and how I feel is that looking at a five game divisional series, I'm not sure. I, I think Lynn or Rodon, depending on who you have start game one, would be the only pitcher to get two starts in that five-game series if the series goes five. I don't have a lot of confidence that the game one starter is going to be ready for game four because the way that the calendar is looking like as far as what Major League Baseball is setting up, day one, game one, day two, game two, day off, that's day three, day four, game three, Game, uh, day five, game four. Okay. So then that would only be one, two, three. You would have three days rest for your game one starter to start on game four and then day off and then game five. I'm thinking that Cease or Keichel is still going to start that game four and it could be an elimination game. And they could be on, you know, really a short leash. And then your game one starter would be ready to go 
with their normal five days rest for game five if it came down to that. So if you yeah. don't have Keuchel on the rotation, then I think you got to have C start game four. And I know we're having this conversation two months before the postseason yeah, is happening. <laughs> um, but the White Sox are ten and a half games in first place right now. We can we can start thinking about this. Yeah. Well, I, I think the way uh, postseason managing has gone over like the last five years, I think you've seen a lot less uh, attention paid to full rest. And, you know, basically it, we've seen it in the back end of the bullpen. We've seen it in the front end of the rotation, just uh, the Garrett Cole situation uh, with the uh, with the Astros. Just you don't want a situation where you feel like your best pitcher was not used in the elimination game. So that's the case where I can see Lynn starting or Lynn being used in relief. If if Lynn pitches a great game one, like if he gets shelled, then maybe the 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 math changes and cease ends up starting that game. Um, and that's the advantage of having four good starters you have the options and anybody can be a hero. Anybody can step up. Um, but if Lynn, like say, if he, he pitches a game like Lucas Giolito pitched in the a game, one of the wildcard series, then I think he would be the one back in the elimination game. Okay. But that's, that's just uh, the way tendencies have gone. Maybe LaRusso will treat it differently. Maybe Cease will pitch himself into such a situation where he's the guy like, uh, full rest makes the most sense, yeah, and that's why I think Lease uh, or Cease can change the way we talk about him over the next six weeks. Or the White Sox can sweep in three games. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and then, then they could reset the rotation for the championship series, in which for the championship series, I could see Keiko getting a start. Yeah, well, we'll see. It is. It's. It's not for sure. With Dallas Keuchel, as far as having a spot in the playoff roster. So, if I were him, I know that he's been saying that he started this season slow on purpose so he could ramp up and be as strong as possible late September. I would continue to get stronger, Dallas, uh, to make (laughs) your case. Um, But, Michael, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Kevin Shannon. And Kevin wrote to us, hey, guys. Sevi Zavala has played more than Zach Collins the last two weeks, if not for longer. What do you think the conversation between Collins and the coaching staff has been? Through the All-Star break, Collins was getting pumped up by White Sox media and coaches. And now, he's taking a back seat to a guy many thought should have been kicked off the 40-man roster last year. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Um... My guess is there, there are a couple things. One is that, you know, as we learn from spring training, Larusa basically flatters everybody. And you have to learn to um, kind of trust your guts on how performances are going and, and who fits and what's needed. Um, just because uh, if you're looking for a, you know, Larusa to decide it's based on, you know, quotes in advance, he'll explain it after the fact. Uh, but he won't, yeah, I don't think he'll offer a whole lot of clues beforehand. Uh, so I think uh, it leaves some detective work for yourself. Um, so maybe what they're saying to Collins behind the scenes is probably differently from what they're saying to the public. I, I think for Collins, the thing that might be deciding it is one, you know, Zavala's framing is better, especially for low strikes. And, and you know, Collins did a good job of getting high strikes for Rodon. Like he got that one three, one pitch to Ian Hap that I think kind of changed the way Rodon's start could have gone. Because uh, I think a walk to happen in that situation could have ended his uh, evening a lot sooner or afternoon a lot sooner. Uh, but in the case of uh, you know 
you know, Collins grabbing that high strike, which he's decent at, uh, that worked to his favor. But you know, o- overall, like the, the numbers are pretty ghastly for Collins when it comes to re- receiving, and Zavala's better there. And Zavala's getting reviews from uh, Lance Lynn, and he's getting you know, uh, you know, Keuchel's liking the way, and, and Keuchel's a guy who needs a low strike, so he should like a catcher who gets him one. So there's that. But there's also the matter that just Collins isn't hitting either, and he got a chance to hit. He's got some run and. Yeah, July, I'm looking at his splits right now for July, and yeah, he batted 167 in July. Yeah, overall, decent OPS, 687, like not bad for a catcher because he draws walks, but that's carrying into, he's hitless so far in August, like he's not doing anything to, uh, you know, to support himself at the bat. I, I think when you look at a, um, I'm looking at his numbers now through August 7th, that's, you know, July 1st through August 7th, 140 batting average, Zavala can do that. You know, like Zavala has out homered him. So I think when you have him hitting the way he's hitting, it's just, and, and certain pitchers either prefer throwing to him or the White Sox coaching staff and, and you know, Shelly Duncan is getting numbers from the analytics department saying like, uh, these pitchers benefit from Zavala catching. Then I guess, you know, maybe Collins can only say so much in defense of himself. It was fast. This turnaround, it happened in a hurry. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Collins' slump happened, too, pretty quickly. <laughs> like, he's, uh, it wasn't gradual. Like, I'm looking at his, his active slump right now is one for 25. I think there's some difficult conversations regarding Zach Collins in the offseason. Or maybe it's just easy conversations, and the White Sox may have to look elsewhere to find a backup catcher, or maybe they really do like Sebi Zavala, and Zavala takes over the mantle of being Yasmani Grandal's backup. Because for a former first-round pick, and the White Sox have been really patient with Zach Collins over the years and given him every opportunity to prove that he's a catcher. Uh, it's just a, it, it's been a mixed bag. It looked like he was doing well to begin the season catching-wise, but then Grandal got hurt and Collins was required to catch more and then it started getting ugly and he's not looking great at the plate. Uh, didn't look great on Saturday. I thought at least on Saturday against uh, the Cubs pitching, which they struggle so much against left-handed hitters that he would have gotten on base a couple of times, maybe even through the walk, and didn't even do that that it's it's getting hard to watch Zach Collins, and I'm not quite sure what the future holds for him. Yeah, uh, we got a question, too, from uh, from Andrew uh, asking about, like, Carlos Perez, and he's another guy to you know, factor into future catching plans. Not as a, a you know, maybe a 2022 backup, like opening day backup, but he's somebody who can't play himself in the conversation. Just he's – his bet has improved. He's been a slow uh, – He's been on the slow track in the minors, and it's taken him a while for his game to come together. But he hits for contact. The power is starting to show a bit more. Like he's he's being a little bit more. Um, he's driving the ball a bit more, like kind of like the Nick Madrigal conversation. Like he's uh, he's not settling for not striking out. He's actually you know drawing a bit more walks, striking out a bit more too. But seeing some rewards in the power department to where like he might be a factor into some conversations. And just you know Collins is a uh, yeah I think. He's a good backup for Yasmani Grandal, but I think a lot of guys are good backups for Grandal, like a guy who can catch uh, that that load and provide offense and defense, or at least receiving, you know, behind the plate and and good receiving behind the plate. Uh, I think Collins had a his skill set is 
can be hidden by a catcher like Grandall, but when Grandall is not there, it becomes exposed. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your question, and Andrew as well, as we touched on your question too about the future outlook for White Sox catchers. Thank you guys so much for writing to us. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. Again, if you have a question or topic that you would like us to answer in a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, the best way of getting it answered is by becoming a Patreon supporter of Sox Machine, which you can do at SoxMachine.com. I'm sorry, you can go through SoxMachine.com, but the direct way is Patreon.com slash SoxMachine, where we have several different tiers of monthly support starting at just $2 a month uh, for our lowest tier to $3, $5, and $10 a month. And our Patreon supporters get more. They get exclusive content from us. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, like our Socks Machine ball caps, our Patreon supporters get first dibs on purchasing those new swag items. So again, if you enjoy our work and you want more from us, Go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. For those that are new to the Socks Machine Podcast, again, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. We also have a YouTube page when we do live streaming videos during the week, which you can subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash machine, And you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. As the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>